Hey, Mana Drainers. I know it's been a little while since our last episode, but we are back with a good one. I'm going to try to keep this intro short because it will be packed. Today, I'm talking with Danny Batterman, who goes by D Batterskull online. You might know him from the Talkin' Moxin podcast. He's also pretty well known for his work on combo decks, particularly the Blue-Green Goblin Charbelcher deck that was going around a few years ago. Danny and I both have a real passion for brewing vintage decks, so we got to sit down today and talk about the start-to-finish process of looking at a set spoiler and turning that into a deck. I hope you like it. I think you're going to. Let's talk about the process of how you go from a card from a spoiler to an exciting brew. It's a topic dear to my heart because I do it all the time. And I know you do it all the time too. So I'm I'm curious to hear your process and compare it to mine. And... Okay, well, the first thing I do when I look over a spoiler is, and this might be a little counterintuitive because I know magic is, you know, we're... I like to think we're competitive magic players. We, our number one goal is to win. And that is, you know, that's the goal when you sign for a tournament is to win the tournament and put yourself in the best position possible to win the tournament. But when I'm looking at a spoiler, I have to admit the things that stand out for me, it's like, okay, am I going to have fun with this? Like what looks fun to me, you know, either in terms of existing into, you know, slotting into an archetype, that already exists and it's like, Oh yeah, this, this makes this fun or this, you know, I think this archetype is fun and I think this helps or being like, okay, this I, I like this card. I like what this card is doing. Is there something I can, you know, build around like arena rector from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Battle Bond. Yeah. From Battle Bond which is not the card I'm going to be talking about, but I saw that card. I'm like, okay, this card looks fun. You know, I I've, I have a tendency for playing Planeswalkers that should not be played in f- formats. I, you know, I have a good result on the Star City Open Circuit Legacy with two copies of Nicole Bolas Planeswalker in my main deck. So it kind of, you know, that's a bit of my <laughs> MO. So it's like, oh, okay, this, this, kind of is up my alley. What can I do with this? This seems fun. And then at that point, I look at a metagame because my favorite thing about Magic is brewing and trying to find holes in the metagame and, you know, tuning, even if it's not a brew, being like, okay, yeah, this is just the best deck to play and this is the tech that I need to play in this deck. Like for, you know, the an older format back when Mentor and Gush was at four, I was actually at four Stony Silences in the 75 in silent mentor because i'm like yeah i just think this is the most important card for what people are doing that i don't like playing against and i don't see anyone else doing this but i think it's correct and who knows if i was right or wrong but Mm -hmm. it just that's the kind of thing where it's even if it's an established deck it's finding the hole in the metagame or finding the weakness and poking it and for the case of arena rector i couldn't find I couldn't find something that it was doing in the metagame that was inherently better than anything Academy Rector could do. So I got away from that one. 
but that's kind of my process. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you're looking for cards that jump out to you as being fun as your, that's your like first pass, not going to bother looking at a card that isn't fun to you. And then afterwards figure out, but does it actually fit? What can I do with this that matters right now? Right. And I also have to look through and just see if there are any potential, even for archetypes I don't consider fun. Like when Aether Revolt got spoiled and I saw Walking Ballista, even though I personally don't enjoy playing playing with shops, it is not, I, I acknowledge it's a very good deck and I know people have fun with it and I'm happy it exists in the format, candidly. But it's personally not my speed. So, but I saw Walking Ballista and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to change everything. And so even though I didn't want to brew with it, I acknowledge mm-hmm. the fact that there's potential for this card to land and how will that make things shift? You know, like, and that's that's kind of in the phase two process of like, well, even if I don't find it fun, is it possible that someone else might, or someone else might pick this up? I, I agree with you that when I'm looking at a spoiler, my first pass is not, oh, how does this card fit in the metagame? It, it's, is this something I want to play with? And I think that there's more overlap there than it might be obvious at first between a card that you think is fun and trying to win matches. And I think there's a few reasons for that, but I think one, and I always go back and forth between how much of magic is, is play style a thing or not. That's, that's probably a great 10 hour discussion on its own, but the fact is you find cards appealing when you have been in game states where they would have been good or you have been playing decks where they would have been good and you're going to you're going to keep gravitating towards those decks so i think there's a high overlap between cards that just jump out to you as fun and cards that are going to reward you for playing the way you already play that is a way to get more wins Right. It's not the only way, but it is a good way. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that there are also times where, maybe not for Vintage per se, but in other formats, back when Jeskai Ascendancy was spoiled, even though I know, I think, um, Nat tried a Jeskai Ascendancy list because... I, I actually played Jeskai Ascendancy at Champs that year. <laughs> I really like that. Really? I don't think I knew that. I did. Uh I did poorly, but I think that deck was very good. Deck. <laughs> but then they restricted. You, you needed four dig through times for that deck. Yeah, you. That's actually my pet deck in Legacy, and they keep incidentally hitting cards from it whenever they ban something to fix the format. I know this is a vintage podcast, not a Legacy podcast, but it's just one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh. But the point I was making was that's something where. It can create a new archetype. I mean, I understand that the basic premise of the archetype is kind of already exists, where it's like, well, you're a quasi-storm deck in the sense that you're trying to chain off a bunch of spells together in one turn, and you're trying to do something broken, and this is an enabler, and it lets you make mana, and da 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 And, you know, if you want to break down pure fundamentals, but it's still different enough in the sense that you know, oh, well, even if my opponent has an Arcane Lab in play, I can still cast this one spell and I can still, you know, go further in my deck and it's still, you know, I can actually hard cast the Fate Stitcher and start being down with it or use them to, 
you know, use it to mess with my opponent's mana while I'm actually digging to find the bounce spell for the arcane lab, and then you die. So there's a new, it's still a newer angle, even if it's a similar kind of deck. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's another thing where it's, even if it's kind of to your point where if it's just, if the card looks fun, even if it can create its own archetype, you know, I'm trying to, I, you know, Lord knows when, I'm trying to think of like the last card that came out that really created its own archetype in Vintage. That's, that's a tough question because it kind of depends on where you where you draw the lines, right? Is Fleet Wheel Cruiser Shops an archetype? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. You know, say with Walking Ballista. Did that just improve decks that already were there or make new ones? Eldrazi is definitely a purely unique new deck. But even that's a few years old now. Yeah, but that's still that is still a perfect example where it's like the Eldrazi, you know, uh, Oath the Gatewatch happened. We got these small bell Eldrazi that was like that were absurdly costed for their stats mm-hmm. you know like and in obviously i think in hindsight were mistakes to be printed and with with the synergy and older like i don't know if that's fair because in terms of printing things for standard but if we were keeping older sets in mind and designing for older sets i think that some numbers might have been tweaked and that was kind of like okay this is a purely new archetype, either with White Eldrazi as a prison deck or Colas Eldrazi as what might be now the de facto Null Rod aggro deck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to say, obviously, you know, the fact that I can call them a Null Rod aggro deck, it's like, oh, that existed in the, before Joel Lim won champs in 2013 with a Null Rod aggro deck. But it's definitely different. It's definitely a new, a new thing. Yeah, it's it's you had disruption and creatures that didn't suck, and not that Merfolk inherently suck, but you need a lot of them. It's not like you could just play a Reality Smasher and get there off the back of a five-five haste for five trample with with like you know removal interaction. Like, uh... so I'm probably just gonna be using fancy words to describe the phrase top down and bottom up, but whenever I'm looking at any cards, whether it's a spoiler or just evaluating older cards to try to build around them, I always feel like there are two approaches to I want to play this card. And one is you have an archetype that exists or maybe not even an archetype, like a commonly occurring game state. And this card does really well in that. A perfect example is, I'm not going to remember it, the new black Swords of Plowshares. Oh, Fatal Push. Uh, no, the ac- the actual one that oh, exiles... Oh, Infernal Reckoning. Infernal Reckoning. Infernal Reckoning. So that's an example of this card where I can think of a hundred vintage games where if I had the ability to exile a colorless creature and gain a little life, I would be in better shape. That's easy, right? This is a common game state. You find the deck that already already makes that happen, and then you find the best card for that role. And that's how I usually end up running these weird, obscure sideboard cards. And I bet... I bet when we get to your deck later, some of the cards in your deck come from that situation. Like you had a very specific job and you find some weird out of the way card that does that job. There might be a card in my sideboard that does that. Yes. Uh, I I have one in mind. There's probably more than one. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, But then the reverse, which I think is probably how you got to the card we're going to talk about later. You have a card that does something interesting and you think... Like the 
the arena rector you're just talking about. And then you try to work backwards and think, okay, what what is the game state like where this card would be good? And then what other cards can I put in my deck that push the game in that direction? That like turn the game into a game where this matters. And I think that's where you kind of start building new archetypes and new uh, strategic directions for a deck. And that's always more fun for me, though it's not it's more risky, right? It's less profitable. But to me, the really fun cards are the ones that do that. Like, I know this does something great. So what 56 cards can I put next to it that make that actually relevant? You know, I think for an even newer card, because there are currently commander spoilers happening. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen the new Sahili, for example? I haven't, but I can look that up real quick. Yeah, so give give that a look. And mind you, I... This is, I am not making any sort of decree of this is 100% going to see play, but it's, I'm kind of going through my process with it right now. Um, because as sure you pull it up on the screen, it's a four cost planeswalker that's blue and red that you can plus to make a servo, which is like, eh, like, I guess it blocks, I guess it pressures other planeswalkers, whatever. But its other plus ability is it reduces any spell like the next spell you're going to cast it reduces it by one for each artifact you have so it like essentially gives you whatever your next spell is affinity that seems really good in paradoxical outcome especially if you can abuse like oh i can pick up the sahili with the paradoxical and then replay it and recast (laughs) it and then do it again you know uh even if you're not going that broken, it's like, okay, well, if I can stick this, now I have a bit of null rod insulation because even if all my moxes are turned off, I can like plus it and still play this paradoxical for like one mana or, you know, and draw some cards and hopefully draw out of this or like play my blight steel for like three or what have you. And what you're talking about, there are situations, there are game states that I can picture that card in and picture that effect and be like, okay, yeah, I can see this. You know, I don't know if it's going to land. I might try it. I don't know. It... I, I see this card, and I mean, you're right. And this is actually, this is almost exactly what I was saying, where there's two ways of looking at it. One is like, what deck already wants this? And you're yeah. right, outcome already wants this. And and it's it wants the other plus one as well, because it's nice to have a way to win the game where you don't have to go broken, right? I'll make three servos, I'll eventually get there. If, if your opponent plays a bunch of null rods or something. But then the reverse of looking at it is if, how could you build a deck with this in mind? Like, I want to cast really big spells with this. I want to cast uh, the Karn Planeswalker, and I want to cast the uh, Mind mind Slaver Ember Cool with, yeah. this, with this guy. Seems like a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I, another deck that I've been, and it's not the deck we're going to talk about, but another deck that I've been playing recently is um, Aperture Science, even though, which is yeah, the yeah. Paradox Engine Temporal Aperture, even though we're not playing Temporal Aperture because Oracle's Vault is better. Like, <laughs> crazy Mishra's Workshop. Too good a deck name to give up. Yeah, it's too cool. It's too good of a deck name to give up. And I also respect the, uh, the person on Moto, I think Saturn. Um, is their is their username on Moto? I respect their original vision and design and name of the deck because it's just a sweet deck. And 
that card seems great there, because it's like, oh, I'm already playing Emrakul, the Aeon's Torn in this deck for me to, like, randomly spike into with this, you know, crazy Paradox Engine combo, I can hardcast it. Like, I have, I'm playing, like, 28 artifacts in the deck. Yeah, I can see this, <laughs> you know? Let's make this, like, 15-15 Annihilator 6 uncounterable Time Walk cost, like, 5 mana that's, like, stupid easy for me to play. You know, like I feel like it's probably pretty typical to have, I would say, two artifacts out the turn you cast this. If you build a deck that is totally loaded with Mox Opals, then more. But just like even in an average deck with a bunch of Moxes, two artifacts out, you're not going to play something giant the turn you cast it, so you plus one it. And then next turn, you have the four mana you used to play Sahili, and at least three more from Sahili, without really trying. Right? So the, you're starting to hit sevens and eights. You can do some pretty pretty dumb stuff with sevens and eights. Yeah, that is one of the things where it's like, okay, who knows what will happen, but I that seems fun to me. You know, and obviously it's competing with a lot of other four-drop planeswalkers. Like, the, the obviously Jace, which even though it's an artifact, like, you know, you're an artifact-based deck, is still Jace. Um, the new Karn, you were talking about, like, the seven-mana Planeswalker Karn, but, like, the new Karn is mm-hmm. also oh, yeah. just yeah. a great way to beat Null Rod, because it's like, all right, you've got a Null Rod, I'm going to make a 5-5, five, five. I'm going to make another 5, I'm going to make a 5-5, five, five. I'm going to make, like, a 6-6 six, six now, like, you know, yep. deal with these, and then I'm going to, like, draw a card, and I'm going to make, like, another one. And it's also, specifically, that Karn is colorless, and while Sahili is blue, which is good because, yay, Force of Will, it's bad because, boo, Pyroblast. True. Yeah, so that kind of segues great into kind of the next stage in the uh, spoiler to brew process, which you were sort of talking about before. So you, you look at a set, and I always will have like six cards that I think are really, really fun, but I'll usually only end up testing one of them or two of them. And you were saying maybe the first first thing that stops you is just taking a look at the metagame before you've actually built anything. Just how does this fit? Yeah, the other thing you have to weigh is... Even if it's not perfect, what is the what's the floor and the ceiling of the card? And I think the ceiling is high enough, and I want to give this a shot. Like I don't think I'm gonna like you know if Champs was tomorrow, I'm putting it all on this Sahili brew, and you know I'm 100% certain, and I'm not just gonna default to Dark Petition because I clearly know that deck better than any other deck out there. And no, I, I trust this. It's like, well, no, I'm not going to make that strong of a statement. I don't know if it's that good. But good enough to go to the next step. Yeah, exactly. Where you, you try to value it a little more. Yeah. I have found that kind of for me, the next step is to build a deck. But when I say build a deck, I, I have find that the process of just even starting to put a deck on paper or nowadays I, I might build the deck on Magic Online, even if I don't have the cards, just cause to visualize mm-hmm. it. But just that process will often, at least half of the cards I look at, I won't I won't play a single game. I'll realize while building the deck, like, oh, this isn't doesn't quite work as well as I thought. So for me, there's usually a lot of cards where, in the case of Sahili, it might be, oh, you really need all these other four drops to work, or oh, you really need more artifacts than you can support, and you don't you can't really see that until you have a list, or I can't see that until there's a list in front of me. I don't know if, if you feel similar at um, all. Yes and no. I'm blessed with the ability to play things out in my head. I'm very good at, like, 
quote Albert Einstein with this term because I hadn't heard it before him, but the idea of like a thought experiment, but it's, you know, a thought deck list or a thought like, all right, how do, how do the pieces fit? And like, if I'm playing against, you know, if I'm playing against mentor, what are the scenarios where this will be good? Like how, you know, what are the game, how do the game states, what you were talking about where it's like you picture, you know, game states, of like, yeah, this card would be good in this game state. I've been there a hundred times. It's like, all right, what are the common game states where, and if it's a completely new deck, that's harder to do. And I, I agree visualizing helps, but say I'm slotting it into like Aperture Science and I'm like, okay, what are the game states I've been in with this deck against Mentor? Like what commonly, you know, there, there are a lot of restricted cards in Vintage, so that adds some inherent variance to the game where it's like, oh, you know, if they resolve the turn yeah. two Ancestral and I, yeah, I, that that's a completely different game state than they got their ancestral count you know, that for on turn two by my misstep or whatever what have you. And but it's still one of these things where it's like you have enough reps in the format. Well anyone listening to this, I'm assuming, has enough reps in the format. And if you don't, I'm sorry, but you know, I don't mean to exclude you. you keep playing, you'll develop it, I swear. <laughs> um where you could be like, okay, what where do the games boil down to and specifically like if I am losing or if I'm struggling, because that's another thing for me where uh, even though I approach life as an optimist, I kind of approach magic and like cards as a pessimist in the sense of like, yeah, I'm already winning and this card like, you know, makes me win bigger or like, you know, you know, it's this perfect setup. Then yeah, obviously the card's going to be great. Like, Oh, if you have, I'm trying to think of an example. Oh, if you've wastelanded all their lands and you've done all this stuff, then obviously... Uh, magical Christmas lands? Yeah, or something. Like, there was a legacy deck I saw that played Back to Basics, Thalia, Heretic, Cathar, and Power Sink. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously Power Sink is going to be... Which, by the way, that is an amazing interaction and it makes me smile. And if the person who played that deck hears this, this is not a dig, but like my thought process for playing that kind of deck is I don't know if I would have personally added the power sinks. Cause like, well, if there's a back to basics out, I'm probably already doing okay. I don't think mm -hmm. I need the power sink as the win more. Like the card is just powerful enough on its own. The person was playing like either alpha or beta power sinks. So it's like fair play. I'm not going to argue that either. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I think Orbs of Warding was one of the ones that came out where it was like a Witchbane Orb that also reduced you know, damage against pyro one damage each, so it stopped Pyromancer tokens. So it was like, oh yeah, this card might have potential, but all right, well, what games do I need this effect in where, because it costs five instead of four, and so it's like, how big is that? And the answer is very. Mm -hmm. And even, even in shops. And the other thing is, you know, what games does this come up in and like the best case scenario where it's like, I'm already winning. I have a bunch of spears. Because this is back when there were four Chalice, four Lodestone, four Spear, four Thorn. And it's like, yeah, if I'm already losing, you know, it's because I don't have any lock pieces and because they've blown up all my board. And this card that maybe stops their elemental tokens, but doesn't actually stop their engine and doesn't impact Monastery Mentor whatsoever isn't going to help me. Mm -hmm. come back into this game versus well if i already have a bunch of lock pieces and they manage to like make a couple of tokens then i'm just going to slam this and they can't beat me so i think you've sort of low-key snuck in this really important play advice that i don't want to go missed which is you know you had said before that you have all the reps and you've seen the situations that helps you figure out whether this card's going to be good or not 
Maybe if you're listening, you don't. If you don't, that is something to pay attention to. When you are playing 100 matches with Mentor, you know, obviously you're trying to get better at playing Mentor. You're trying to learn those play mistakes. But you should also be looking at the game states, regardless of whether you're winning or losing, the 30 or 40 common game states that happen in the deck and which ones you win from and which ones you lose from. And yeah, that'll help you get better at playing the deck you're playing, but it's also, you're also deck building right then, even if you don't know it. That is what deck building is, is knowing how a card relates to your chance of winning the game. That is the entire process of deck building. And you learn that while you're playing. You don't learn that while you're building the deck. If you play forever, you get this stuff naturally. But if you're learning, I feel like that's, if you're not paying attention to that, pay attention to that. Agree. And it will help. it's also like, I'm not going to sit here and claim I'm infallible. I will. I know I've said this to friends. I don't know if I've ever said it publicly. I might have, but I will come out and say that I miss Treasure Cruise. Like people, when cons got spoiled and people were like, oh my God, Treasure Cruise. And I'm like, no, because you have to nuke your graveyard for Yagmoth's well. And why would you ever do that when you could just play this card that ends the game and it's not that good and, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be a grave. You're not going to be able to cast it on, like, turn two. It's going to be, like, a turn, you know, whatever play. And, like, I'd rather cast this Yagmas well and win the game that way. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. You can just play actual five Ancestral Recalls? Oh, yeah, that's actually just better than Yagmas well. Oh, wait. And then it's like, oh, I actually played Treasure Cruise and Whale or Dig and Will in the same deck. And it's just like, oh, you could actually just... These cards don't hurt each other at all. Oh, wow. I was very silly. Okay. Yeah, but that's the same as the, that was sort of a yeah. new game state, right? And if, and that means no one, no one has that experience. People have good instincts and bad instincts and good guesses and bad guesses, but you don't know until you start seeing an action. I'll admit to that one. There was a hole in how I viewed vintage because 2014 ish. That was kind of when we saw the emergence of these fair decks. I think you would agree that the, oh, Vintage is a turn one format. No one, you have to mulligan to force a will. Otherwise, you never get to play your turn has always been overstated. I think it wasn't until the early 2010s that real fair decks by Vintage standards actually started taking up and owning the metagame like Bugfish, Rug Delver, Merfolk even, we mentioned that earlier. It's not that I didn't think they were good. At the time, I thought Bugfish was the best deck in the format, but that was a blind spot on my part because I never really played those decks. I didn't think they were fun. I'm playing Vintage. I'm going to do broken stuff. I'm going to do stuff that I can't do anywhere else in Magic. That's why this format is great. That's why I fell in love with the format because I get to do all these busted things that don't exist anywhere else. And... In a way, having five Ancestral Recalls in your deck was doing this busted thing that you couldn't do anywhere else, but because I didn't realize the play patterns of these, like, Rug Delver decks, these Pyromancer decks, where it's like, oh, yeah, I lose because I run out of gas, and I'm trying to, like, trade one for one, contain the opponent, and I just need to refuel and just get ahead of them and bury them, and it's like, oh, yeah, well, here's this card that lets you do that, and so that's something I missed. It really is important when one is building a deck. If you love the format, try everything. I want to work this into the deck that you actually played in a recent event. So you, you're building a deck. You've seen a card in the spoiler that you like. You have identified that the metagame doesn't force it out. And now you've actually built a deck that makes sense. Now you're ready to actually play some games. 
Did you play any test games before the tournament you went to recently? Oh, no. No, not at all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you treat the tournament as testing, right? That's, that's yeah, fine. It's, it's, part of it is that for this, it was a week and a half ago, I think, at the point that we're recording this, and it was Academy Rector Flash. Right now, I was just very busy with other other stuff. Like, I'm working, I'm working on the Team Pro Tour for right now, and that means I have to be testing three different formats. <laughs> and it's like, oh, right, vintage. I also kind of had the bad habit of that because I lean on these thought experiments and like how these games play out. I definitely go into locals where I don't play test enough, where I'm like, ah, I'm just I can see the games play on my head. It's fine, and like I'll just use the tournament as testing. It's a local event. Like it's not chance. It's okay. <laughs> and I also don't. Well, Spellseeker is not currently available on Moto, and that's the card I'm going to talk about. So I couldn't test on Moto anyways, but I also don't own Vintage on Moto, so unless, you know, I have another human being... Only so much time for Vintage. Yeah, basically, because a lot of Vintage players are adults, and adults have responsibilities, and so there aren't always times where it's like, oh yeah, let's just meet up and have like this, you know, weekly playtest session, because we don't have this big event, let's just do it to do it, and it's like, yeah, that's great, but I've got a job, or I've got kids, or, you know... So we have this flash deck. This is the deck of the week, and we're going to put it in the show notes for you. The high level is it is a Academy Rector Omniscience deck. So you can get out your Omniscience and cast absurd giant spells like Grizzlebrand or Emrakul that will win the game when you cast them, or you almost bargain. And you have the flash in there, which is obviously just good synergy with Academy Rector. But I understand you really wanted to test out spell seekers from Battlebot and kind of decided that Flash was the, the most exciting way to do that. I guess first we'll say what Spellseeker is. So Spellseeker is a three mana, two generic, one blue, one one, human wizard, I believe. Uh, for sure it's a human. That's that's relevant to how the deck gets built. But um, I believe human wizard. Yeah, human wizard. That when it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for an instant or sorcery with converted mana cost two or less and put it in your hand. Like, regardless of color, regardless of, you know, it's not like Merchant Scroll where you can only get blue stuff. It's like, I can get Demonic Tutor, which comes up in this deck uh, a good amount, which is weird, but I'll explain the kill as the game goes on. Or the game, the podcast. (laughs) I look at that card, and obviously the first two cards that jump to mind in this format are Ancestral Recall and Time Walk. Gosh, outside of like mystical tutor and personal tutor, I can't think of any other restricted. You can't just tutor for any card. You know, you have to like tutor for a card with a specific set of characteristics that gets time walk. Like outside of maybe muddle the mixture, you can transmute into it. That might have seen play at some point before I started paying attention to vintage. I defer to you on that one. <laughs> I, I have I've run it in a deck. I don't I, I don't see I don't think I've seen anyone like win with it. <laughs> There, there might be cards out there that I'm forgetting, like obviously Mystical Tutor, obviously Personal Tutor. One of these things where there is a restriction placed on a tutor and it puts it in your hand and you can get Time Walk with it. I can't think of another card that off right now that does that. Once again, besides like Muddle the Mixture or something, you know. Yeah, nothing that I, nothing that's really seen play. Right. And it also gets Ancestral Recall, which is great. And it can also get like Brainstorm if you're like, I can't think, not Oath, because you don't want to Oath into this thing unless you're... Brian Kelly, I mm-hmm. guess, who's in the Trinket Mage, but, you know, whatever. I mean, just if you've already got an Ancestral Brainstorm, it could be pretty good. A litany of other, you know, you could tutor for a mental misstep if you need that kind of, like... Mana Drain. 
yeah, oh yeah, Mana Drain is, you know, another one where it's like there are just a lot of Swords to Plowshares, like Burning Wish too, if, if you're so inclined. There are a lot of options. And it's also blue, so it's like, okay, well, worst that happens is I pitch to Force of Will. It's, it's in the right color. Out of all the formats, this is probably going to be the most busted it's in because it has the most busted spells that fall under that range. Let's try it out. Yeah. So I want to hear you talk a little bit about how the deck did, but I definitely want to hear kind of a little of your thought process of this was the first time you played the deck. So obviously you're trying to win matches, but what are you looking for in the games to ultimately make that decision? Is this something I want to keep pursuing? Okay. So what I was looking for, in the, well, one, I was looking for, did I win the games? And even if sure. I lost, <laughs> did it feel like I had a shot? Or did it feel like, oh, I just nothing I did mattered? Like, and it's one of the, there, there are obviously vintage games where you have that nothing you did mattered, but consistently this feeling of, oh, there was nothing I did that mattered. There was no way I could ever interact. There was no way I could ever hope to, I was too slow. I was too clunky. I was too, there were too many holes. Cause one of the things about Academy Director, and this is definitely also something I was looking at. This is point number two is how resilient am I to hate because Grave Hate is effective against Academy Reactor, and it's not just like Rest in Peace and Leyline of the Void, where it's like, oh yeah, obviously the card needs to die in order to make this work. It's like, no, if you if the Rector is put in the graveyard, and then with its trigger on the stack, removed with a Tormod's Crypt, you don't get your Rector trigger. Yeah, it's, it's not a card that sees as much play as it used to, so people who have started playing within the past you know, a few years may not have run into that interaction before. If, if one is aware of that fact, that is an axis it can be fought on. So I was paying attention of like, okay, can this deck stitch together a good enough plan B? My plan B, by the way, was show and tell because, you know, we're already playing Omniscience and Gristlebrand and Emrakul, so might as well. And I guess even Yagmas Bargain, so, you know, might as well. Like, is that a good enough backup plan to justify running this and then another thing i was looking for also is well i'm a combo deck but like if i get paired against other combo decks specifically paradoxical which i'm sure everyone knows is pretty quick can i actually put up enough of a fight and how vulnerable am i to pyroblast because i'm not playing red myself and you know flash is a blue card spell seekers blue card so how badly does that wreck me did you get a chance to play against Outcome? Do you, I did. Do you have a feel for I did. that I, I played against Outcome in what was the finals i also played it for fun because we drew in and we played for fun. And so I went one and one against it. And it was Reed Duke's Outcome Stormlist. It wasn't like the 17 land, like with Mentor and Time Vault and Tinker Blightsteel and stuff like that. It was the one Reed Duke played to the challenge that had like Wheel of Fortune and Yagmas Will and killed with tendrils, and like was consistently quick, not just like, oh, I drew, you know, the nuts with a Mox Opal. So I got you quick. And it was. Like, they were scary. I, I was able to win, but it was scary. The other thing that I will admit to was I didn't get to play against shops. I There was no shops in the room. It was a 10-person event because it was sanctioned vintage, and there were people who couldn't make it out because, as mentioned, responsibilities. And there were just no shops in the room, and I haven't gotten a chance to play against it yet. And so in the future, one of the things I am going to be looking is does this deck have legs against Workshop? And I think it does, 
because workshop decks, the last workshop decks I saw running Dredge's Cage and Sorcerer's Spyglass as their way to really interact with Dredge. So I don't have to worry about that, oh, you kill my Academy Director and then you remove it problem. So I just play this thing and then they can't attack me anymore because I get an omniscience or I get, you know, um, the Haymaker co- super specific Consulate's Crackdown in my sideboard <laughs> that wraps their board. That was definitely the card I was talking about earlier, but the hyper-specific card. And I was really hoping that you had gotten to gotten to bring it in and see how good it was, but... No, I hadn't yet, but it was, you know... Because my, th- my thought process there, by the way, is that I don't, like, bargain against shops, but I want a backup enchantment. So it's like, oh, I'll just play this card that, like, wraps their board, and then they can't get rid of. <laughs> um, I will say, for what it's worth, I really wanted to play Form of the Dragon, and I just kept getting talked out of it. And I was just like, ah. mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, they've got Walking Ballista and Hangerback Walker, and I'm like, uh Yeah, it feels risky, but... Certainly fun to turn into a dragon. Yeah. Or like, against Mentor, it's like, oh, against Mentor. It's like, well, they still have Jace, and they're probably bringing in, like, Disenchant or something. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. You know, and like, and a lot of them are on the red decks, they play Lightning Bolts. And I'm like, ah. So, yeah, that was one of the, one of the things I was looking for. But specifically, with Spellseeker, I guess if we're going to go through the steps of my process, is... Because of reasons stated earlier, this card looks fun. This card seems powerful. Um, this card adds consistency to the deck. Like, it seems like it does what I want to be doing. Tutors help you win games because it helps get they help get you cards that are good in whatever scenario you find yourself in. Shocker. It seemed fun to me, and I always... I hate decks that can't win from behind. That's part of the reason I didn't like Delver decks, typically, is because if they're ahead or if you're a parody, that they're great... But if you ever fall behind, it's just like, it feels like an uphill battle. And some people really enjoy navigating that, uh, you know, swimming upstream and, you know, avoiding the jaws of the bear and making it so you can have salmon fun time, as it were. But I'm not one of those people. (laughs) If I were up against the jaws of a bear swimming upstream, I'd rather be prepared with a shotgun, you know? (laughs) So (laughs) tutors help you do that. So it's like, okay, I like... I like the concept of this. This helps me get what I need to win from behind, or if I'm ahead, it helps me get what I need to seal the deal. Let's go to the specifics of it. All right, it's a three-mana 1-1. That doesn't do anything. If it was a two-mana 1-1, that's, like, obviously busted. If it was a three-mana 2-1, that's like, okay, that's got comparable stats to Trinket Mage, and, like, that can actually kind of pressure Planeswalkers and, like, kind of pressure their life Mm -hmm. total. It actually can, like, kind of trade with relevant creatures in the format, Jay's friend's prodigy, as much as that's his player, like Deathrite Shaman or whatever. Sure, sure. You know, but like a 1 1 isn't really a card. Lord knows I've won enough games under Time Vault Voltaic Key with Goblin Welder Beats, but like a 1 1 is not a card. So my next thought when building this deck is like, okay, you need to either do something broken with it, more broken than just Ancestral Recall Time Walk. This is a tutor for a broken effect. I'm using the fact that. It is a unique, uniquely, we can play four, you know, so it's unique and I'm going to do something busted with it. Or you need to take advantage of the fact that it is a creature and it has a body. And the first option was the flash. The other card that I thought of, which I desperately wanted to play in the stack, but there was no way I can get the mana to work, was channel. Okay. 
Because yeah, yeah, <laughs> you take a bro- broken broken cards that are instants or sorceries that cost one or two. It's got to be it's got to be in the top five, right? Yeah. Well, uniquely broken too. It's like you know, as as mentioned, getting ancestral recall and time walker fine, but like you know, let's go over the top. I can't once again outside of mystical tutor, personal tutor, and muddle the mixture. What other card like gets you channel? Like the, the, that has specific constraints or isn't restricted. Like Vampiric Tutor, Demonic Tutor, and Imperial Seal can get you channel. Same with Mystical Tutor, but those are all restricted. And Personal Tutor is just bad. Like <laughs> one mana sorcery, put a sorcery on top of your deck. And, and then you were saying that it it helps to have a body too. And I think I know that's heading towards Cabal Therapy, right? Yeah, that's one of the options. The other option I was thinking of, admitted, and this is my first thought, was Restoration Angel in like a Blue Angel shell. So it's like, yeah, yeah, getting Ancestral Recall once is like good, but then I like flicker it and I can get the Time Walk, or I can flicker it and get the Mana Drain, or I can flicker it and get whatever. Another card that would have been wrapped in that deck, uh, Skull Clamp, because it has one toughness. Sure, sure. So like in this hypothetical Restoration Angel deck, you could play Stoneforge Mystic, which pretty good against Workshops, because like, obviously self-plug with my nickname, but Batter Skull is actually like pretty good against Shops, because it's a 4-4 lifelink. That, like, is repeatable, <laughs> and you can pick it back up with Stoneforge and replay it or equip it onto things if you have enough mana. And then the, Stonefor- then the Stoneforge can also get the Skull Clamp, and you could like, and it, Stoneforge has a Restoration Angel value. And so, like, you can flicker and get the Skull Clamp, and then you can Skull Clamp the Spellseeker, and then you have Snapcaster Major Vendillion Click, and, uh, you know. Like, I don't, and this mm-hmm, is one mm-hmm. of these decks, by the way, where you're talking about where you need to, you know, this one, I didn't actually fully, I kind of came up with a list. But it's one of these, you sketch the deck list out and you realize, oh, there are like too many slots that I need for this. And then I also need like, you know, Force of Wells and Missteps and Drains and, you know, Preordains to help smooth mm-hmm. my deck out if we're going that route or what have you. And like, that might be too much. All right. So that sounds like that was kind of your first approach because of that. You switched to the approach that you landed Yeah, on. well, it was partially... I actually had them both simultaneously. I was like, all right, which one looked better on these? And honestly, with the flash list, like, I wanted to try three Spellseekers. This, the list will be in the show notes, but this list is tight. This list is super tight. Like, I'm trying to fit the third... You know, testing showed, and that was one of the things I looked out for, is how good is this card? It was bananas. Want a third very badly, but I'm looking at this list, like, I don't know what to cut. This is, like, in actuality, like, a 65-card deck in terms of my head. In terms of the list that I played, the other cards I want in the deck are I want Preordains number three and four because it just Preordain helps smooth out your deck by a lot. I don't need to go on that lecture about how cantrips are good. I want Spellseeker number three. I want Vampiric Tutor because it's just a generically good tutor um, and it finds show-and-tell for the backup plan. And I... I I kind of want the fourth misstep because Pyroblast is an issue. You know, but I have no idea how to fit these cards in. Thinking about fitting in the third Spellseeker over the fourth Cabal Therapy because Spellseeker can find Cabal Therapy and Vintage, like, if Catastrophe Proper still at four, we'd be having a much different conversation. But the fact that it's not, like, Blind Therapies are harder in Vintage because of all the restricted cards. Yeah, that makes sense. You can name, like, their interaction pieces, like, oh, I'll name Force of Well, or, oh, I'll name Pyroblast, or what have you. Or against Paradoxical, it's like, oh, I'll name this Paradoxical outcome, but, like, I definitely played, against the PO deck, I definitely played Cabal Therapy. I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna name this Paradoxical out. 
Like, because it's Cabal Therapy Paradoxical Outcome, I mean, they had Yawgmoth's Will in their hand, and I'm like, and that's what I lost to that game, was they untapped and played Yawgmoth's Will, but it's like, yeah. I didn't even know they were 100% running that Yawgmoth's Will, let alone, you know, they had that restricted card in their two-card hand on turn, I think, either two of the game or three of the game, <laughs> like, you know. Sure, sure, like, yeah. I, maybe that's my fault for not being a good Cabal Therapy soul reader. It's like, yeah, you're setting up for Yawgmoth's Will, but really. A mana crypt, two moxin, and a top in play, and it's like, yeah, I'm gonna name this and like blue mana. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna name this paradoxical. Like, I don't want to lose next turn. The other thing too is spellseeker, and this is something that I mentioned would come up. It actually wins you the game post rector dying, like in omniscience, because what you can do after you get the omniscience out, you have to then win the game. It's not quite, you know, you have to find something to do with it. You know, and that's another reason I wanted preordains to like help dig me to more action after I've, you know, done the combo. But Spellseeker finding Demonic Tutor, Demonic Tutor finds Emrakul, play Emrakul, you die. Game's over. Because I get my time walk turn. Like that, that was real. That, I killed like that. I, I won a lot of games like that where I'm just like, you know, oh, you know, uh, play this Academy Rector, sacrifice it to Cabal Therapy, like, play the spell, get omniscience, play the spell secret from my hand, Demonic Tutor, Demonic Tutor, Emrakul, blah, or, like, I'll play the Gristlebrand in my hand, I'll draw seven, ooh, I drew into a spell seeker, play it, Demonic Tutor, Emrakul, crash, like. Because you, you do definitely need, like, a critical mass and an omniscience deck so that omniscience will usually win, right? Because sometimes it doesn't. So you need a certain number of cards to. Right, or even, like, if you've used your Demonic Tutor, it's like, okay, I'm gonna merge, I'm gonna do this for Merchant Scroll, and I'm going to Merchant Scroll for Dig Through Time, and I'm going to play this Dig Through Time, and then I'm going to, like, find this Gristlebrand, I'm going to play this Gristlebrand, I'm going to draw seven, and here's a Time Walk, and, like, you know, what have you. Like, those are all <laughs> lines I did Yeah. In, in the tournament. And there was even a time where it was like, I had I had a good broken start with the Artifact Mana, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go, like, turn one Mox, Ancient Tomb, Spellseeker, and then I'm going to go, like, get Demonic Tutor, and then next turn I'm going to play, like, a Lotus or Mana Crypt or what have you, and a land, and then I'm going to Demonic Tutor for Show and Tell, I'm going to Show and Tell in this Crystal Brand. You know, especially with um, uh, Basaju in the board, which I had in there because my thought was, okay, well, I want this in my board because I can post-board, I want to lean on Show and Tell being uncounterable because they can have grave hate to mess with my Rectors. And... I also have a cavern in the main because once again, everything's a human, including the mentor on the sideboard, which is another pretty decent way to sidestep, to sidestep grave hate is like, this isn't the greatest monastery mentor deck in the world by any means, but you know, you, but if they load up on hate, it's not so bad. Yeah. It's still a way to sidestep and you can still like, you know, chain off with Spellseeker into stuff. Like everything in this deck that I actually want to cast is a human. And like, I suppose in super tight cases, I can name demon and hard cast aggressive brand because whatever <laughs> but like that's not i don't think that's like a real thing but that's the option yeah so we kind of talked about how you took the fun card spell seeker and figured out a few different ways to build a deck you built the one you wanted and you won the tournament yeah the really important note about i would say spell seeker and another takeaway i had from this tournament was i think the card is kind of just an engine i don't think you need to be limited to this combo flash deck another deck list i actually made you know the tournament was at two in the afternoon and i made this deck at 11 in the morning was i made this spell seeker turbo xerox deck where it played three spell seekers for value it was like esper 
and it played Spell Seekers for Value, and it played Mentor, and it played two Academy Rector, and just a Flash and a Yawgmoth Bargain. Because, oh, in this Turbo Xerox matchup, I could go bigger by just tutoring up this Yawgmoth Bargain. And Cabal Therapy is already not only good with Spell Seeker, it's not the worst with Monastery Mentor, because you still have these monks, so you can, like, play a Mentor, play some spells, and then just rip their hand apart. Yeah. And you just have Yawgmoth Bargain to go over the top, which is a good way to do it, and then you can just randomly storm off, and... I ended up not going that route because I just, I wanted to see if the combo version would do it. And there was also, you know, that list, that list also might've need, might need some kinks worked out. Cause like, I kind of, I have like a backdoor tendrils kill. Cause like, well, I'm already playing with bargain. Like might as well, like try to draw into like Lotus and Yagmas well and Hercules recall myself and tendrils. But like, okay, maybe an omniscience would also be good because like I can play it and then I can play the turbo Xerox preordain treasure cruise gush you know, restricted blue draw spell engine to dig into my Yawgmoth's well and then replay them again off the Omniscience because it's not flashback and I can do that. At least I'm like 95% sure I can, and I should know that because I'm a judge, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And storm off that way, so it's like, okay, maybe I need to fit an Omniscience in, but if I fit an Omniscience in, then I need to fit a third rector in, and uh, the tournament, like, I'm going to leave the tournament in an hour or whatever. (laughs) I also have to, like, physically re-sleeve up this deck. Eh, whatever, I'll test it later. But... Mm-hmm. I think the idea of you can just have this little package of two to three Spellseeker, three Cabal Therapy, a Flash, two Academy Rector, and a big dumb enchantment that either wins you the game or puts you over the top. I think there are a lot of decks you can build around that. And I could be wrong. I think the payoff is there. Worth trying. Yeah. 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 All right. So you successfully navigated the tournament, but do you think you will be able to successfully navigate the Lightning Bolt round? Um... How many mental missteps am I packing? That's a personal question. <laughs> Only you know the answer to that well, question. I suppose that question will determine how I do in the lightning bolt round. <laughs> the first question that we ask everyone, what kind of sleeves do you use? What are your favorite sleeves? In this day and age, my favorite sleeves are the KMC matte blues. Not KMC, um, Dragon Shield matte blues. I say KMC because for years... The not hyper matte, the original matte KMC dark blues were the sleeves I use. I still have boxes of used versions of them because even though they're five years old, they haven't ripped and I still use them for playtesting. Like they're not clean enough for tournament play, but they're just, they were so durable. And then for whatever, and I, the texture in my opinion was so much better than the hyper mats. And then they stopped printing them because everyone liked the hyper mats better. And it's like, oh, so um, I settled. I settled. <laughs> I, I tried Eclipses for a bit. I liked them, but the local shop I go to and have a lot of store credit at wasn't carrying them at the time. So I bought. I I gave Dragon Shields a shot, and I like them. I like them enough. So, if you remember, what deck did you play in the first vintage tournament you ever played in? I do remember. It was a bug fish list that Brian DeMars posted in one of his articles on Star City Games, and. It was not the traditional bug fish list. You know, as we came to know it of like Dark Confidant, Death Red Shaman, et cetera, et cetera. It had Bob, but it also had Tinker Blightsteel with Vault Key and the Sower of Temptation. And it had this backdoor combo kill. And the story was of how I got into vintage was that I just bought myself an Ancestral Recall as an early 21st birthday present for myself because it's like, well, I just want to own a piece of power and this is all I'll ever own. And like, I'll just, I'll have it for collector's value. Then my local store, uh, Nightwear in Los Angeles, was like, hey, we have a vintage tournament. Oh, because of this Ancestral Recall, I can make it under the limit without having to pay extra money. Sweet. 
and then I top forward it. And not only did I top forward, it was the most fun I've had playing Magic ever. And I was just like, all right, fine. <laughs> hooked forever. Yeah. Well, that's good to hear. But it was like 2011, so power wasn't as bad as it is now to sure, buy. Yeah, so, yeah. You know, I'm not going to complain. All right, so definitely on topic for this episode, name a card that you really wanted to have work, but it just did not work. Oh my gosh. Oh, there's so many. <laughs> I guess off the top of my head, uh, the four mana Duretti planes. Yep, the one with the Goblin Welder in it. Yeah, because Goblin Welder is awesome. <laughs> and so it's like, this is Goblin Welder on a Planeswalker that can't be misstepped. Sweet. And it's just, I think that I think that if this card was released back in like 2009, like when Jace the Mind Sculptor first emerged and everyone was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. you know, or like if this was like, if Planeswalkers were a thing in the air, I think Planeswalkers were around when Control Slaver was a thing, right? Maybe no, all five year? No, I, I I mean, depends on who you ask, but the when, when Control Slaver was at its peak was before Planeswalkers. Okay. This hypothetical world where this card and Planeswalkers existed in the era of Control Slaver, like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh my God. But in Vintage, and I think it came out in 2014, if I remember correctly. Looks like it, yeah. At that point, I think, and now, especially in 2018, I kind of think Vintage has passed it by, which makes me a little sad. It's not only a Goblin Welder, it's a Goblin Welder that fuels itself. Like, it puts artifacts in the graveyard with its plus, and then it Goblin Welders with its minus. Like, what? What more do you want? <laughs> So, okay, so here's the question, and you can think of this from a Belcher perspective if you want, or from a Storm perspective, it's up to you. What do you think the most underrated card is in Vintage Combo decks? However you want to define underrated. This is going to be a hindsight is 2021. Sure. I'm going to go with Cataxian. Well, okay, I suppose in this day and age, it's defense grade, because a lot of the cards that commonly stop combo decks miss that Pyroblast Fluster Storm. Mm -hmm. Don't interact with defense grade. Mm-hmm. So you just play it, and then you kind of have carte blanche to do what you want, and it's pretty great. Actual card, and this is, maybe it was just me. I'm sure there are people who are going to listen to this who are going to be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I knew this. And I'm going to look at them and be like, yeah, you're smarter than me. But <laughs> you taxing probe. When it got restricted, my first thought was, you know what? I don't know if this card needed to be restricted. Like, I don't think it was doing anything insane to the format. But I'm happy it's gone. You know, like, I'm not going to complain. And then it's just now that it's really restricted and you just see it, it's just like you cast it. Like the games are cast, the games, they have that information because it's a one of. It's just like, ugh, really? <laughs> it is funny how different one ofs feel than yeah. four ofs. Yeah, and now that I'm, as a player, I have it as a one of and it's like, oh, I play this card. It's like, oh, cool. I drew my one of that let me know that you're just dead and I can just go for it. Cool. And then I, you know, storm off or whatever. I was really naive in terms of over... I'm, I'm happy that card is at one, and I'm happy it's now... It is affected my opinion for the Legacy Band, where I'm just like, happy this is gone. Like, that, that card was messed up. That card was messed <laughs> up. All right. Okay, and one last question. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were going to give one piece of advice to someone listening to the podcast who has either just starting Vintage or has been playing for a little bit but wants to get a little better, what would that be? Play games. Not only just play games in vintage, play games in other formats. I have encountered people in my life where, even myself at one point, where I kind of viewed myself as like a format specialist. This is back when I was just basically focusing on legacy. Mm -hmm. And I think 
that when a person does that, it narrows down their range and their mindset and it makes them a worse overall player because you're not playing as much magic as you would be playing at other places and you're not seeing interactions and you're not putting yourself in new scenarios. And obviously you want to have reps. Even if a game plays out similarly, no game's going to play out exactly the same. And if you bring this perspective into other formats, you might see something that you wouldn't have seen. The summer of 2017, I was testing for the modern portion of Grand Prix Vegas, and the kind of consensus best deck at the time in modern was Death Shadow. I was just testing this deck, and I kept flooding, and I kept flooding, and I kept flooding. I kept dying because I was flooding, and I looked at my friend Ari, and I was like, can we go full Turbo Xerox, add four sleight of hands to this deck, and go down to 16 lands and just not flood? I did, and 16 lands were too few, and I went up to 17, but like it just it fixed all the problems, and I had that perspective because of Vintage, because of the Mentor deck. Open your mind to doing that. Always be willing to try decks. Even, even if you hear this idea that sounds like the stupidest thing in the world, if you have the time to do it, do it. You know, don't, don't close your mind off. Be well-rounded. I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Shops is not my cup of tea. I have played Shops in a tournament. I tapped an event with White Eldrazi. I want to expand my range, and I own all these cards, so I'm going to play it. Because if you play a deck, you understand how to beat a deck. Yeah. Get get reps in. And also, if you're going to play test against Dredge, here's a very good piece of advice that I'm happy to share, and I think it's kind of catching on. This is the single best way to play test against Dredge. Take a Bazaar of Baghdad, set it aside. Roll a six-sided dice. Their opening hand is bizarre, plus the number of pips on the die. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> I haven't done that specifically, but I've done similar things, and I think it helps a lot, and I think people don't test that way enough. Yeah. If you are learning to play Dredge, do not do this, because it does not include Serum Powder Mulligans, and you need to learn, and mulliganing with Dredge, and when to mulligan, when not to mulligan, and when to Serum Powder, and when not to Serum Powder, are very important skills. If you want to get in reps against the deck... It's not perfect, but it saves you so much time. The five minutes, whatever, that saved from that is going to be worth more because you get five more minutes of game time. It's so much more efficient. All right. Well, thanks, Danny, for hanging out and talking. Thank you for having me. This is fun. I hope to come back at some point. That was Danny Batterman. I am Andy, the Brass Band Propasco, and this has been the Manadrain Vintage Magic Podcast. If you like the show, head over to iTunes, give us a rating or a review. If you want more episodes, please consider contributing to the Manadrain Patreon at patreon.com slash themanadrain. Patreon subscribers get access to the Manadrain Discord channel, and it helps keep the podcast coming and the website running. If you have any feedback about the show or you have any questions or topics you want us to talk about, leave us a message on the Manadrain website or send a tweet to at the Manadrain. Thanks for listening and good game, everybody.